in you and he has opened your eyes but he doesn't just want you to see what's going on he wants you to see and embrace people so that we get moved with compassion to be a proponent of grace in the world not just so we can see and be like yeah that's a that's a bummer see every time we find jesus sees and he's moved with compassion jesus does something beautiful he acts in a beautiful way We have a value in American culture that we're entitled to everything we want on earth and after. But that's not biblical. Today, Pastor Daniel takes us through the experience of the Jews as they found out there would be a sanctioned massacre of their people. They grieved. We'll be encouraged to remember that for Christians, there may be times of grieving, but there is an ever-present hope available through Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part three of his message entitled, Adversity and Provision. I was on a soccer team, and they were going to play a tournament in London, and my parents were like, no, no, sorry, you can't go. It was the end of the world. Like, how could I not go play soccer in London? And I didn't even think about, well, to fly two people to London and hotel rooms and food. I'm going to drink a lot of tea, biscuits. It's like, that's not like a cheap endeavor when you have three kids. But it was just like, you don't, I didn't even think about all that was going on. I had a little bit of information. There was a soccer tournament and I was invited and I need to go. So listen, for your own life, don't make hasty decisions. When you're looking at someone else's decisions, you have to ask yourself, do I actually have all the information? And then you have to ask yourself, if I don't have all the information, am I ever actually going to get all the information? I'll never forget, like, as a pastor, this happens, because I realize that every decision you make, there's got all these implications. Pastor Bill said to me one time, he said, Daniel, you know what you're going to have to get used to? You're going to have to make decisions. No one's going to know all the information, and you're always going to be the bad guy. (laughs) I was like, thanks, bro. (laughs) But it's true. It's true. And if people are watching your life, everyone's going to think they know what you're supposed to do, but almost nobody actually asks for all the information. They just assume. They hear a little piece, they assume. So for your life, don't answer a matter before you hear it. Don't make a hasty decision. If it's a big decision, take the time, if you have it, to ask good questions. And at the same time, when you're watching someone else, don't make a hasty decision about someone else's decision if you don't have all the information. Because oftentimes, there's much more to the story than anybody realizes. See, if King Ahasuerus would have asked the questions, this all wouldn't have gone on. If Haman didn't just act out in his pride and started to ask questions, he would realize that he was setting himself up for an absolute train wreck. But everyone's making hasty decisions. Again, it sets it all in motion. Look at verse 11, chapter 3. 
And the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. Now look at what happens in verse 12. Then the king's scribes were called on the 13th day of the first month, and a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded to the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province, to the officials of all people, to every province according to its script, and to every people in their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus, it is written and sealed with the king's signet ring. And the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is in the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. A copy of the documents was to be issued as law in every province, being published for all people, that they should be ready for that day. The couriers went out, hastened by the king's command, and the decree was proclaimed in Shushan, the citadel. So the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Shushan was perplexed. Now chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and a bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Now, what we have here is that Haman gets the okay from the king, and he goes on out and he brings together uh, the, the scribes, and they write this law, and they say, listen, in 12 months' time on this 13th day of Adar, all the Jews... Young and old, woman and child, all of them are annihilated and, notice, and their goods plundered. A lot of people say, well, how is it possible that Haman was going to pay that kind of money? Well, in his heart, he was going to take all their stuff too. Right? Go ahead and do it. And sure enough, they have the couriers. They're bringing this edict of destruction all throughout the empire. And notice when they hear it, everybody starts to get upset. We have this strange line at the end of verse 15. It says, so the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Sushan was perplexed. And that word is, means in confusion. They were vexed. And when the word makes it to Mordecai, he tears his clothes and he sits in sackcloth and ashes and goes about wailing in the city. What does this teach us? It teaches us that sometimes grieving is necessary. Sometimes grieving is necessary. It's, it's kind of a strange thing. Now, you notice I, don't, I didn't say grieving is always necessary. Because I think sometimes we get worked up about things that really aren't all that important. You know, it's a beautiful thing when you get to raise kids because some of the stuff that my kids get upset about, you're just like, oh, man, in the grand scheme of things, this is just like, 
That's really sweet. So like Annabelle, my, Annabelle's like 15 months now. Annabelle's entering, entering her toddler years in a big way. It's hard for Annabelle because she can't talk yet. I mean, she can say dada, which is super cool for me, you know? But nothing, she can't express anything. And so like, we're in the place with Annabelle right now where Annabelle, like, you'll have like a banana, right? And Annabelle go, mm, mm, mm. And you break off the banana, you give it to her, and she melts down. Just literally flips her lid. Wah! And then you're like, she pointed at the banana, and then, and then you go to hand her the whole banana, and she gives you a big smile. You guys remember when your kids were like that? Some of your kids are growing up, you're like, they're still like that. <laughs> but listen, we're like that with our Heavenly Father too, aren't we? We just flip out, right? Like, she wanted a banana. I give her a banana, but she wants the whole banana. She wants to bite it herself. She doesn't want Daddy to give her little edible pieces so she doesn't choke on it. She's got to do it herself. And I realize she's young, and so I don't give her a heart. Like, listen, you little sinner. Oh, I do that a little bit. I'm like, well, you, you know, it's, you can pray for us, man. She figured out how to take her diaper off now. This is going to be fun, man. Oh, everyone's laughing. We're going to have her come over to your house for nap time. It's bad now. It's like, I, like you know, I'm like going to tape, I'm going to mask and tape that thing on her, man. I'm going to tape it to her body with nonstick tape. I know where this lands, you know what I mean? It's going to be a design on the wall. It's going to be nasty. <laughs> you pray for us, man. It's good. But seriously, it's like some of the things we get freaked out over, we flip out over, it's really just not anything. Can we all just admit that? That sometimes we're just a little crazy, right? So grieving isn't always necessary, but my friends, sometimes grieving is necessary. And we need to know. Now, the key for us with grieving is that on this side of the cross of Jesus Christ, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Right? Isn't that what the Apostle Paul told us? That even in our heartbrokenness over situations and loss, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. And that is one of the differentiators between those who believe in Jesus and those who do not. For those who do not believe in Jesus, they have to grieve because there is no hope beyond whatever's going on. There is no hope that God's going to work everything together for good because they don't love God and they're not called according to his purpose. There is no hope in a glorious afterlife for someone who's rejected Jesus because they've rejected Jesus and they've said, I don't want that time. And I don't like, and people say, I don't like that about Christianity. I don't want to make distinctions. But those distinctions are real. We live in a culture of entitlement where everyone believes because we are 21st century Americans and we are entitled to a glorious present and a glorious afterlife no matter what I do. And my friends, that's just an American cultural value. Nothing more. No other culture has that cultural value, but we do. And we've just kind of translated that spiritually, which really what it's saying is that I'm God and I get to write my own rules. And my friends, guess what? You ain't God. Neither am I. God is God. We are his creation, his creatures. He gets to make those rules, not me, not you. God makes those rules. That's an important distinction. But for Mordecai and the Jewish people, they are grieving 
because they just found out that in 12 months, in the Persian Empire, which was the empire that ruled the known world at that time, they were allowed to be killed, all of them. They had a, a free pass to murder and plunder as many Jewish people as they would, as they would want. And so, wailing, grieving, that sackcloth and ashes was a, it was an oriental style of grief. You were not only hurting inside, but you showed it outside, the way you dressed. You put dirt on your head. It's just a sign of total humility. Sackcloth was completely uncomfortable. It reminds us, though, because we don't grieve as those who have no hope, Psalm 30, verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. If you're in a season of necessary grieving, know that it won't always be that way. But sometimes the only proper response is grieving. The only proper response. And I think sometimes as Christians, we forget that Jesus didn't come to make us inhuman, but to make us truly human. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, even though he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he was overcome with the sadness of the moment, the pain of his loved ones. And he wept with those who wept. I like that about Jesus. He didn't give them a talking to Sometimes as Christians, I think we can lack compassion in the name of good theology, which is actually bad theology. Because true theology is compassionate. So that we should weep with those who weep. But we don't weep as those who have no hope. Now, in verse 4, look at what happens. And so now we're in chapter 4, verse 4. So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take the sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. Then Esther, verse 5, called Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs whom he had appointed to attend her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. So Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a command for Mordecai. Verse 11, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner courts to the king who has not been called, he has but one law put all to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go in to see the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. Now it's amazing. Now think about this. Everybody's perplexed. The Jewish people are 
in mourning and weeping and grieving, but Queen Esther knows nothing of this. You might say, how is it possible? Well, she was the queen of the empire. Her life is divorced, in a sense, from the life of the common person living in Shushan, the citadel, or wherever else. And Mordecai, her uncle, he's not going into the king's gate because you're not allowed to enter the king's gate in mourning. So he's outside, but Esther finds out what's going on and she engages. And what does this teach us? It teaches us that we need to keep our eyes open. We need to keep our eyes open. See, Esther, like your life and my life, you get consumed in a whole bunch of stuff. Life happens, right? And if you don't keep your eyes open about people whose your world is divorced from their world, you actually don't even realize people's struggles. That's one of the downsides of the glorious, prospering society that we live in is that there was a time when you knew your neighbors and you knew what was going on and people were neighborly. Now we drive into our garages and we shut our doors and we have privacy trees and all these things. And I'm not saying that those things are wrong, but oftentimes we don't even know what someone's going through, right? See, Esther, although she's the queen, she actually has her eyes opened. She notices that something is going on and she literally, she sends out clothes to her cousin Mordecai, her, her, her surrogate dad. And what is going on? Why are you acting this way? She doesn't even know what's going on. And brothers and sisters, we need to keep our eyes open. It's one of the things that I love so much about Jesus. All the time in the Gospels, Jesus, God becoming man, to experience the experience that we have, we find these lines like Jesus saw and was moved with compassion, like in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. But when he saw the multitude, speaking of Jesus, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep not having a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his field. He saw them and he was moved with compassion. And then one of the biggest struggles I think we have as the family of God today is we need to ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes that we can really see people in their brokenness and be moved with compassion so that we can actually help them and not just pity them or judge them. You see, the Spirit of God, if you're here and you're born again, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and he has opened your eyes. But he doesn't just want you to see what's going on. He wants you to see and embrace people so that we get moved with compassion to be a proponent of grace in the world, not just so we can see and be like, yeah, that's a, that's a bummer. See, every time we find Jesus sees and he's moved with compassion, Jesus does something beautiful. He acts in a beautiful way. He serves and takes care of them. Esther sees what's going on. She sends out one of the eunuchs. He finds out this is what's going on. This is what's happening. And then literally he's like, you need to do something. And then Esther comes back and says, look, I, I can't do anything. If I go in before the king when he hasn't summoned me, I'll be subject to the death penalty. And you notice it says in here that she hasn't been summoned to the king in 30 days. Wow. So you realize they were married, but she didn't have access to the king the way wives have access to their husbands. 
Like, if she just showed up and the king wasn't, didn't invite her, they could kill her on the spot unless he raises his golden scepter to her. But they have this back and forth about what's going on. And Mordecai, Mordecai is encouraging her to help. Now, look at how this all kind of closes out, which sets the stage for all that's going to come next in verse 13. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews who were present in Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, day or night. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. Mordecai engages Esther and says, you need to do something. And she says, look, I don't know that I can. If I just step into the king's presence, he doesn't raise the golden scepter, I'm going to die. And then Mordecai gets back to her. And it's amazing what he says to her. Because this is the first time it's almost like Esther is doubting Mordecai's wisdom. Everything else she just goes with. But notice what he says in verse 13. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know what he's saying to her? He's saying, Esther, be God's blessing. Be God's blessing. He's saying, look, if you don't say anything, if you don't get involved here, do you think you're going to escape what's going to happen to all the Jews? But Mordecai is so sure that God's not finished with his people. He's like, look, relief and deliverance is going to come from somewhere else if you don't do it. But then he says, do you think that you're in the kingdom for such a time as this? Brothers, sisters, I can't help but apply this to our lives. Because I don't think Esther, her details are unique, but her calling as a daughter and a child of God is the same as yours and is the same as mine. Isn't God inviting you to be his blessing in the world? Do you think God placed you where you are for no reason? Do you think that God has you around these details, these people, this sphere of influence with the information that you have for no reason? Or do you think that God has placed you perfectly where you are for such a time? Jesus is real. When Esther heard about the situation with Mordecai, Haman, and the king, she recognized the struggle of her people. She also knew that she was now in a difficult position. God places people where they are at a certain time for a reason. 
Giving is one of the central themes in the Bible. Believe it or not, it's the main subject of nearly half of the parables that Jesus taught. Like prayer and serving others, money is an outlet of spiritual power. When it's released into ministry, God does amazing things with it. To understand what it means to be a Christ follower, we must also understand what it means to be a giver. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly supporter of Jesus is Real Radio. For more information, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thanks, Josh. Pastor Daniel would like to invite you to join him each day on Facebook for his two-minute messages. Pastor Daniel shares from his heart and God's Word in a way that will impact your life. It's the perfect way to inject a little bit of Jesus into your routine. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links to the two-minute messages. Now, here's Josh with a preview of what Pastor Daniel will be covering in the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when we'll hear about the decision reached by Esther as she considered how to approach the king. In an effort to save her people, she'll put her own life on the line. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series entitled, For Such a Time. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio. Typical